Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I am Paul. And I'm Jamie. And I know it has been a long time since you've heard from us, and that is our fault. Sorry about that. We ended up taking an unplanned weekend off, which is weekends is when we usually do our recordings. Right. That's so- right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we took a weekend off because, you know, friends are important mm-hmm. in your life. And I had some friends of mine uh, that I grew up with from junior high school, and they came into town. Heathens. <laughs> and... um we had we had even one that drove uh, in from uh, from deep into another state, and uh, glad that uh, he came. Glad that all of them came. We yep. had a we had, we had a, a really good weekend. Yes, it was a great time. Uh, we ended up going to one of the casinos. Uh huh. I don't think any anybody was really, I guess, a winner. You know, except for us. No, except for you. I didn't win shit. <laughs> but. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's always just a crapshoot, basically. Right. Pardon the pun, but the odds are heavily stacked against you. Of course. You know. So, anyway, it is what it is. We had a great weekend. Thank you to those that came. Like I said, it was some friends of mine that I grew up with. Some of them even from junior high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought their wives or significant others. Actually, they were all wives except for the one, but. Love to have them too. Yeah, uh, y'all come back anytime. We're planning to possibly get together again later this year, mm-hmm. hopefully. So we'll see how that goes. So, yes, it's been a minute. But, it has. But we have got some crazy stories for you this week. We're going to start with mine, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to tell you the name. I mean, obviously, you're going to know the name when you click on the episode to listen to it. But we're going to start out with the victim. However, I wanted to get into really quickly another story, uh, just a quick story, something that I was reading in the news here very recently for for basically his decision, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Richard Bernard Moore, he's a, a death row inmate. He is set to die on April the 29th of this year, so basically just a few weeks away, unless the court steps in. Now, he has exhausted all of his appeals. Uh, he is on death row for murder. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, he's he's exhausted all of his appeals. However, he has pleaded to uh, the courts to, to basically say that the penalty does not meet the, the heinousness of the crime, Basically, Mr. Moore uh, was uh, charged and convicted and uh, ultimately put on death row because he shot and killed a, uh, a convenience store worker. Apparently, there was an altercation. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent two decades on death row after he was convicted in 2001 of killing convenience store clerk James Mahoney. Mm-hmm. Now, this is in North Carolina, and death row inmates... I have not heard this in recent past other than this case, but he is being given an option, either death by electrocution Mm -hmm. in the chair or by firing squad. 
firing squad. Yes. I thought you was going to say either the chair or lethal injection. No. Oh. He is being given the option of one or the other. Uh, the firing squad is not something that you've heard of here recently. No. But apparently, it is a thing. And, and actually, it is a thing in several states in the United States that's still on the on the books to do that you, that they can do i wonder how many people choose it in those states that still have it yeah well i, I don't i don't know but they actually just renovated their death chamber mm-hmm. to allow for the firing squad death penalty uh, they spent uh, fifty three thousand six hundred dollars to overhaul overhaul it last month to add a metal chair with restraints that faces a wall with a rectangular opening opening in it 15 feet away where three volunteers these volunteers are prison staff okay prison guards mm-hmm. uh, with live ammunition and fire at the condemned inmate with rifles okay so i just want to say as far as volunteers go why couldn't it be the family of the victim why couldn't they come in and do it well, that's that brings up a good point. Right. Because, I mean, he's already going to die. I mean, you, that's what he's there for. That's true. And, you know, you and I have have talked about some cases that, I'm telling you, it, if I had the opportunity, and, and look, these people didn't do anything to me. Right. But it's what they did to their victims. Right. And their victims can't have justification mm-hmm. other than, you know, if the person is sentenced to death they needed to die immediately well yeah or you know at least give the family some time in a closed locked room with (gasps) oh yeah that would probably be good too yeah Yeah. so i mean he is claiming it's cruel and unusual punishment that doesn't fit the crime look more went into the convenience store and I, i did a little bit of reading on the story on the backstory of it he went into in there unarmed he went into the convenience store unarmed. Okay. He did proceed to rob the place. The clerk pulled out a gun, which Moore wrestled from him. The clerk pulled out another gun. Oh, damn. And a, and a gunfight ensued. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he, he went in there unarmed. Now, I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not saying that killing the clerk was right. What I'm saying is, is that he didn't go in there with the intention of... But when the clerk pulled the gun, he had the ability to go ahead and leave right then. He, he absolutely did. Instead, he took the clerk's gun. Yeah, that's true. He had the ability to run out yeah. right then. So, he, to, in my opinion, he shouldn't have put himself in that situation to begin with. I have no sympathy. My question is, and he did ultimately kill the clerk. Now, Moore was shot in the process as well. Mm-hmm. My question is, to, to our listeners... Is death by firing squad too cruel and too heinous for this person on death row for the crime that he committed? That's a open. It's open for debate because I, I don't know. I mean, when he left the store, the clerk was still alive. And he died from his injury because he was shot in the chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, you know, still able to contact police or whatever i don't know how police got contacted but i'm assuming that that's what happened so my question is 
should this man Moore die from firing squad? He shot someone, yes, but he wrestled the gun from the clerk who, if I'm Moore, I'm thinking this man's fixing to shoot me. So if I turn and run, he's going to shoot me anyway. Well, don't be in there robbing his damn store. Oh, I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. Do not go out there robbing stores. You don't know who's going to have a gun. Even one of the patrons, the customers, could have a gun. That's true. A lot of people have carry concealed permits. Mm -hmm. I myself have one. You don't know who has a gun. Don't go robbing people. Don't go robbing stores. Right. My thing is, he went, he was in a desperate situation. He robbed the store. The clerk could have just turned the money over. I'm not saying that the clerk made a bad decision. I'm just saying the clerk could have turned the money over. End of story, the man could have walked out with, what, 250 bucks? Mm-hmm. End of story. Mm-hmm. Nobody's hurt. Instead, the clerk, being a, a brave person that he was, pulls out a gun to try to stop the robbery, and it's wrestled away from him. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that he definitely needs to be more. I, I think that he definitely needs to be punished mm-hmm. for for the murder uh, that he committed. But firing squad? I don't know. I don't know. That's open for debate. Yeah. So I'm not going to give my opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I probably can guess yours. I mean, you'd think that it, he just he needs to go. He needs to go? Yeah, I get it. I mean, he took a human life. He did. He did. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying. Yep. So that was my little 10-minute opening story just okay. to kind of get y'all riled up. <laughs> and that's what it did to my wife. I love you, baby. I love you, but yes, it did get me riled up. It did. It did. (laughs) Okay. Here we go with our main story. This is uh, part one of two, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you something. Part two is where we're going to get into the really gruesome details. So I'm going to start this tale out with... Uh, the rainbows the, and butterflies. The how they how the <laughs> officers found him and and all this other stuff. And then when we get into part two, I'm going to retell this opening story, but with a little bit more detail to it. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. John Charles Thomas Price. That's a long name. Shout out to our listeners in the land down under. Australia, somewhere that I definitely want to visit one day. I'm scared. I'm telling you, that continent can kill you in so many different ways. And I'm not talking about the people either. I'm talking about the elements, the animals, the The kangaroos. The kangaroos will beat the shit out of you. Yeah. The land down under, Australia, the continent that can kill you in a thousand different ways that you can't even see coming. But I will tell you, I have seen like, you know, pictures of magazines and stuff, and it does look gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I think that we definitely need to try. I know it's going to be expensive as hell. Right. But um, I definitely want to visit there one day. Okay. So, John Charles Thomas Price, uh, his nickname was Pricey. Oh, I like that, Pricey. John Price was born April the 4th of 1955. He was a hardworking man who brought home a good living for his family, working in the local mines. His marriage, unfortunately, broke up in 1988, 
ending with his former wife taking their youngest child, a two-year-old girl, but John would retain custody of their two older children, a teenage boy and girl. John lived with his two children in Aberdeen, which is in New South Wales, Australia, about three hours north of Sydney. Now, before I, I go any further, look, if I'm sure that I'm going to mispronounce some words. However, there are when, when you read about the story, the words that are used mm-hmm. in the story are Australian words. They, they have that dialect. So this is being told, these stories that I read and the, some of the documentaries that I watched and things, and I, there's a few of them out there, um, they're all being told by Australian citizens. Okay. So they use some words that I actually had to look up and I put the definition or what it what the American version of it is out to the side so in case you ask me or something like that I'm I'll because be able to tell I will. You. you will ask me <laughs> so um he owned a brick three bedroom home on St Andrews Street in Aberdeen he was well liked and popular in his community and was described as quote a terrific bloke Oh, why is always the well-liked ones? I know. He, just to kind of talk about the community and what he did in his community, almost every night when he got home from work and stuff, he would actually go to his neighbor's house, spend some time over there before actually returning back home and going to bed. I mean, he he was very well-liked in his community. So it was no surprise that a neighbor became concerned when they saw John's car still sitting in the driveway at 6 a.m. on Wednesday, March the 1st of 2000. He was supposed to be at work. Mm-hmm. Hard-working minor. You know, they get to work early. It was also not a big surprise that his boss became worried when John didn't show up for work that morning. John's boss sent a fellow employee to go check on him at his house. Once there, the fellow employee partnered with the concerned neighbor decided to look around the outside of the house to see if they could either find a way in or could find a way to possibly wake John up. Mm-hmm. They found John's bedroom window, began to knock on it loudly in hopes that he had just overslept. Receiving no signs of anyone being home, the baffled duo made their way back around to the Price home front door. On the door, something that wasn't noticed before, was some dried blood strains. Oh, shit. Confused, right? Confused and worried, they decided to contact the police. Constable Scott Matthews would not only answer the phone call, but he would also respond to the residents. Shortly after 8 a.m., Constable Matthews and Sergeant Graham Furlonger arrived at the house on St. Andrew Street. Constable Matthews knew John Price In the documentary, Crimes That Shook Australia, which is available to purchase on Amazon video, Matthews recalls John as, quote, hardworking and reliable. Matthews felt that it was a bit unusual for Price to not show up for work and to not call in. Mm. After taking note of the blood spotted on the front door jam, Sergeant Furlonger peered through the mail slot in the front door. The inside of the house was dark and eerily quiet. 
The only thing Furlonger could make out was what appeared to be a bunched up curtain or a blanket or something hanging in the lounge room. Lounge room being the living room. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The officers began searching the outer perimeter of the home, looking for any points of entry with the least amount of damage. Now, I put in parentheses, they are still not sure what is going on. Mm-hmm. For all they know, John could be inside sleeping or not even home. He definitely was a good dude. He was hardworking, but he also did like to, you know, go out and drink and stuff like this. He was a hard drinker, too. Right, but that wouldn't explain the blood on the door. Well, that's true. That's very ominous. Right. Upon entering the backyard, they saw what appeared to be a plate of food, someone's dinner, that had been thrown into the backyard seemingly from the back door. Oh, shit. At some point, with no other options, the officers made the decision to enter by force through the home's back door. Once inside, walking into the dark house, the officers came to an archway leading to the hallway. Uh, There was a blanket or curtain of some sort hanging from the archway, and as Constable Matthews reached out to move it aside so they could pass by it, He noticed a cold chill on his arm. He looked down at his arm, which looked as though he was bleeding. He must have cut himself while he was coming through the or breaking through the door. After passing the blanket or curtain, they continue on looking for John a few steps further, and they are met with a horrendous scene of blood-stained floors and walls. Oh. There, on the floor near the lounge room, the officers discovered the body of 44-year-old John Price. They immediately knew what had happened, and they didn't waste any time drawing their pistols. They don't know if there's somebody still in the house. house. They began to search the rest of the house, all the while noticing that there is blood everywhere. They make their way down the hall and start to hear the faint noise of someone snoring. What? Yeah. Following the noise into the bedroom, the officers find a woman sleeping in the bed. What the fuck? They immediately try to revive the woman, but cannot. She appeared to be drugged. The officers carried the woman outside and into the backyard, where they continued to try to revive her, but their attempts fail. One of the officers calls for an ambulance. Upon further investigation, or probably just from knowing John, the officers made the determination that the woman was John's girlfriend of five years, Catherine Knight. Okay. Now, that story is the story that I'm going to tell in part two again, but I'm going to tell it in a lot more detail. Okay. All right. Let's talk about Catherine Mary Knight. She was born on October the 24th of 1955, just a half hour after her twin sister, Joy, in a hospital in northwestern New South Wales. Her mother, Barbara, already had several children, Uh including four boys from a previous marriage, another son with Catherine's father, Ken. During the breakup of Barbara's previous marriage, her two oldest sons remained with her father, Jack Rohan. And I hope that I'm saying that right, Rohan. While the two younger boys would be sent to live with their aunt in Sydney. Upon the death of her former husband, Jack, the two older boys would come to live with their mother. Eventually, Barbara and Ken would have another son in 1961. So now she has a total of five boys. Well, in 1961, six boys. 
So she had four boys with her previous husband, another boy with uh, her current husband, Ken, and then another boy with Ken in 1961. Oh, okay. And I got then you. two girls. That's yeah. eight kids. She had eight kids. Yeah. We can't say nothing. We got seven. So. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, she had eight kids. Ken Knight worked in the area abattoirs. An abattoir is a slaughterhouse. Oh, okay. Yeah. He worked as a traveling slaughterman. So traveling? He, he would actually go around to the different abattoirs in the areas around that, around that area. Him and his family traveled around the area of Queensland and New South Wales where he would work 12-hour shifts at different locations or anywhere else that uh, work was available for his trade. Wow, 12 hours. 12-hour shifts. Yep. That's got to be tiring because you know that's like... It's backbreaking. Yeah, manual. I mean, yeah, it is very... Because basically they're cutting the meat directly off of the bone mm-hmm. and, and, and things. They're, it's hard work. Right. Eventually, in 1969, the family, Ken, Barbara, and their six children that they had, because remember two were with, you know... Uh, are with... Um, uh, with an, uh, an aunt uh-huh. in Sydney would move and settle to uh, into Aberdeen. There, Ken would find a steady position at the local abattoir. By those that can remember Catherine from a young age, they could describe her as kind and a loving little girl. She was said to have been kind and gentle towards animals. Catherine never really got into any trouble as a child until she was about 13 it was a very minor incident and only mentioned in passing with very few details, but the end result would only be a good behavior bond. Now, I had to look that up. A good behavior bond, uh, it says bonds for good behavior can arise in domestic abuse situations or other situations such as disputes between neighbors. They can be useful if you need some protection from the court for a short period of time. A bond for good behavior will last for a certain term, such as like six months. Mm-hmm. So that's what a good bond behavior is. Ken and Barbara's relationship did not start out the conventional way. While still married and living with her husband at the time, Jack Rohan, Barbara would come to meet Ken Knight, and a, who, was, who was a friend and co-worker of Jack's. Oh. They began an adulterous relationship which created a whirlwind of scandals throughout the town as both families, the Knights and the Rohans, were well known throughout the area communities. Scandalous. Yeah. So, as you can see, Barbara cheated on Jack. Yeah. You know, I mean, so that's kind of how that whole thing started. It was reported that Ken was a violent alcoholic who would usually take out any frustrations on Barbara, sexually and without consent. Mm. This was, yeah, this was said to happen sometimes up to 10 times a day. That's horrible. Dude. um, In this case, you couldn't go uh, buy you a prostitute or something? I mean. I I can't even imagine. I can't imagine for her. I, I, I can't imagine for him. Right. Because I can't imagine that it was fun love making between mm-hmm. a husband and a wife is sensual mm-hmm. it's uh romantic mm-hmm. 
it's fun. Well, that and it's supposed to build um, on the relationship, the bond. Absolutely. And it solidifies right. your relationship. Absolutely. And what he was doing was not. No. And, of course, in him doing all that, he totally ruined it for her. So Absolutely. There was well, we're going to get into that. Okay. Barbara would tell the stories of the brutal rapes to her daughters in intimate and graphic detail. Oh, no, she shouldn't have done that. And explain to them why she, quote, hated sex with men. So there you go. It, it got to a point where she just hated to do it. I, right, and I get that, but you shouldn't be discussing that with your daughters, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean. I could be wrong. I don't know what age. It didn't say what age they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but. Other than the, I mean, if the daughters were like teenagers, I can see telling them as kind of like a lesson. Sure. Like, you know, stay away from a man like this. Oh, yeah. But. And it's a lesson that continues on. And I'm, I'm, let me tell you about this part right okay. here. Okay. Okay. I'm listening. Catherine would later tell people of the time she asked her mother's advice regarding a sexual encounter of her own. Catherine went to her mother and complained about one of Catherine's partners who wanted her to be a part of a sex act that she did not want to do. Barbara told Catherine to, quote, put up with it and stop complaining. Okay, now, I don't know how I feel. Well, obviously, I don't agree with that. Obviously. I mean, if any of mine ever came to us, which I'm I'm assuming they would come to me and not you, I would be like, uh, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Don't and do it. If they don't respect you, then you need to go on down the road. And if they force you to do it, that's when they come to me. Right. And I'll take it from there. I'm not going to put up with that shit. So her mother, knowing what she had been through with the sex up to 10 times a day and not enjoying it, is ba- is going to tell her daughter, oh, we'll just put up with it. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Knight also has claimed that she was continuously assaulted sexually by several of her own family members until the age of 11. That's sad. Not her father. So older brothers, maybe? She never said, all she said was it was not her father. Now, at the end of this story, I'm going to tell you another story. You're just full of stories. I, I'm I'm full of shit is what I'm full of. No, seriously. <laughs> when I get done with this story, <laughs> that may be kind of come to light a little bit. I'm going to tell you another story, okay? Okay. All right. By her classmates, Catherine was remembered as a bully. Mm. She would pick smaller children to stand over and was even said to have assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon. I don't like bullies. I don't either. They need their ass whooped. Yes, they do. Okay. It is also reported that Catherine was injured during an altercation with a teacher who was said to be acting in self-defense. But all of these acts were far and few between as Catherine was actually said to be a model student who often received awards for good behavior. The fuck? I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, you assaulted a teacher. She had awards for good behavior and... But you still assaulted teacher and are a fucking bully. Yeah. 
Uh, I know. Where's the good behavior coming from? Like you was good for one day and they're like, oh, let's give you an award. Well, you didn't kill anybody today, so here's an award. <laughs> right? Yeah. When Catherine was 15 years old, she would drop out of school, despite the fact that she had still not learned how to write or read. How the fuck did she make it that far in school and not, did not learn how to read or write? Did none of the teachers notice this? Or were they too busy trying not to get their ass whooped by her? You got to remember, this is the 60s. Still? I mean, I, mean, I get it, but still? Yeah. I mean, you know, I say 60s, it might be 70s. How she did was she... born in 55, so this is 70. Yeah. How did she get promoted to the upper grades? Without learning the basics. I don't know. They were tired of fucking with her or like, you Probably. want to be somebody else's problem? You need to go on oh. to another grade and leave these kids alone. <laughs> so. Okay. And and probably, look, the, the thing that they remembered about her is she, she picked on the smaller kids. Maybe they were just trying to get her away from the smaller kids. And that's true, too. Yeah. Catherine would immediately take a job as a cutter in a local clothing factory but would only keep that position for about 12 months when she left it for what she called, quote, her dream job. Catherine would take a job at a local abattoir cutting up Ophal. What's that? Ophal, and I hope I'm saying that right, Ophal. All of the entrails and internal organs of an animal used for food. Okay. But she would not stay at this position long. Before she was rapidly promoted to boner. Okay. And what did the boners do? They trimmed and cut the meat from the bone. Okay. That's, again, you know, I had to look up what an abattoir was. I had to look up what an ophal was. I had to look up what boner was. When you said ophal, I was thinking, is this like an Australian animal that I've never heard of before? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, um... So, when I read that the boner trims and cuts meat from the bone, I mean, I guess the only difference is we would say deboner. Yeah. Because you're removing the bone from the meat, right. basically. Either way, she was a boner. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes our childish humor. There you go. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> boner. <laughs> All right. Y'all are... Have to excuse me. He Allergies. mowed grass mowed, today. Yep, I mowed the grass today, and whoo, pollen is killing him. Oh yeah, the once young daughter of a slaughterman had followed in her father's footsteps to become a slaughter woman, and she was damn good at it too. Boner was no low totem pole position in the abattoir. The boner would be given. <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> I okay. literally wrote this this paragraph in that way. I feel like to, you're trying to see how many times you can say boner. <laughs> boner. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Not making fun of the profession. Believe no, me. No. Um, I, I literally typed this paragraph this way for a reason. Um, to see how many times you could say boner? Exactly. Okay. The boner would be given a new set of butcher knives that they had to keep up with and take care of. Now, you know chefs. 
chefs, even butchers and things, when you're, you know, you get your own knives, you have to take care of them mm-hmm. and all this stuff like this. So I can, I mean, I can see this is, this is a proud deal for her. Yeah. You know, she got these, these knives and things and she's got to take care of them. Catherine took her job very seriously and cherished her knives. So much so, she had developed a fascination for knives and other sharp objects. The fascination grew into infatuation when she began hanging the knives over the head of her bed, claiming they, quote, would always be there in case I needed them. As she grew older, this bizarre behavior with knives would continue and grow, and so would her collection, as the bare space on her walls would get smaller. So she was hanging up a bunch of knives? Among other things. And we'll kind of get into that as as we go into her marriages and, and things like that. Catherine would grow into a hell of a woman, but not so much in a good way. She was said to not only have a strong personality, but also to be very strong physically. In the predominantly male domain of boning, Catherine became as tough as nails and gave as much as she got in the boning floor jargon that would make a wharfy blush. Now, uh, a wharfy mm-hmm. is another name for a dock worker. Ah. I had to look that up, too. So kind of like a construction worker because some of them have foul language? I mean, yeah. So she could make a construction worker blush. Yeah, I probably so. Or a sailor blush. A sailor. There yeah. you go. There we go. So, and I really, when I first read that, wharfy, mm-hmm. I, I thought that it was a sailor. Oh, but okay. it's actually a dock worker or, or a longshoreman. Mm-hmm. It's another word for it as well. She was renowned for not taking a backward step. And with her knife in hand, she'd challenge anyone who offended her to armed combat to abruptly sort the matter out. No one ever took her on. So she's a badass. Wow. Well, I... I mean, I can kind of see it because obviously sure. you said that bone cutters or boners, I'm sorry, from the way it sounds, are is a predominantly male yes. profession. Yes. So, I mean, she's kind of got to be yeah. out there to make her way. Well, you're right. And unfortunately, even in the construction industry, it's a predominantly male industry. Mm-hmm. Um, now... You and I used to work for the same construction company. You still work there. I work for another one. But even in here in recent times, you and I have seen some really good women yeah. in the construction industry. Right. I mean, I had the, the pleasure of getting a woman promoted to a site superintendent. Right. And... And she deserved it. She deserved it, and she was very good at it. Yeah. Now, it took her a minute before, you know, the the other people on the site would actually... Respect her. Respect her. Right. But she gained it fast, and Mm -hmm. she was good. Right. So, in 1973, Catherine met a hard-drinking co-worker named David Collette. She was said to completely dominate David. Oh. It was stated that... If David ever got into a fight at the hotel, hotel meaning they hung out at a local hotel bar. Okay. It was called the Top Bar. It, well, 
there was two bars in the Aberdeen area, the top bar and the bottom bar. <laughs> That's original. I don't think that they were in the same location. I mm-hmm. just think that that was the names of them. I think maybe the top bar probably, you know, maybe they were in the same location. One was on the top floor, the other one was on the bottom floor. I don't know. But anyway, it was stated that if David ever got into a fight at the hotel, Knight would step in and back him up with her fists and would not lose. So in other words, she was his protector. Uh, Yeah. Oh. So naturally... In 1974, the two would get married after she proposed to him. Okay, then. I wonder how that went. Hey. You're marrying me. Yep, you're marrying me. And he'd be like, Okay. I did. Yeah. Do you think that he had a choice? I mean, really? Probably not, because she probably would have beat the shit out of him. Probably so. Yeah. On their most beautiful day, the couple arrived together on Catherine's motorcycle, Colette on the back, very drunk. Oh, <laughs> this isn't starting off good at all. David remember. Oh, you just wait. Okay. David remembers his future mother-in-law, Barbara, pulling him aside and giving him the, quote, welcome to the family talk. Mm-hmm. David stated in an interview, quote, the old girl said to me to watch out. She said, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't even think about playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. And he didn't take that as a sign as, hey, I might need to, you know... Since he rode up to the wedding with her on the back of her motorcycle, maybe he needed to hitchhike his ass away from that wedding. <sighs> Probably. Because after this, he definitely should have. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to read this next little bit, and I want you to tell me what your honest thoughts are. Okay. Okay? During their wedding night, David remembers waking up in the middle of the night to Catherine strangling him. She claims this is because David fell asleep after only having intercourse three times that night. Let me let that soak in. It'll take me a drink of beer. Uh, how, how many times was she expecting him to do it that night? Apparently more than three. I mean, three to me is like, yeah, that's plenty. Apparently she wanted more. So she's going to strangle him? She started to strangle him. I mean, if you're going to strangle him, how are you going to get more? Because if you kill him... I don't know. He can't give it to you. Well... He should have, the next morning... uh, Filed for an annulment. Yes. Yep. It got better from there, right? No, I'm betting it didn't. Well, let's see. On one occasion, Catherine, very pregnant, burned all of David's clothing and shoes, and then hit him in the back of the head with a frying pan, fracturing his skull. Why, though? Why why would she do such a thing? David was a competition dart thrower Mm -hmm. and was competing one night when he won himself a spot in the finals. Obviously, this took longer than expected, which infuriated Catherine. So when David came in, still reeling from the exciting night of competition darts, 
she showed him just how she felt about him coming home too late. So she couldn't even be excited that he had made it to the finals of his competition. No, he was, his ass was late. His ass was late. So it's all about her and yeah. what she wants. Yeah. Once struck in the head by the frying pan, David feared for his life, but he managed to make it to a neighbor's house before collapsing. The police were called, but by this time, Catherine had regained her composure and managed to convince the police and David not to press charges. That's scary. Oh, yeah. The verbal and physical abuse continued regularly between Knight and Colette. David had had enough, so in 1976, shortly after the birth of their daughter, David left Catherine for another woman and moved to Queensland. Oh, okay. The day after David left, Catherine exhibited very strange behavior. She was seen walking down the main street pushing her daughter in a pram. A, pram, a carriage. A, a four-wheeled stroller. Mm-hmm. And jerking the pram violently back and forth. Those that took notice contacted the local authorities, which landed Catherine in St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth. There, she was diagnosed with postnatal depression. I think she had a little bit more than that going on. <laughs> She's diagnosed with more later. Okay. Catherine would spend several weeks in St. Elmo's before being released. Upon her release, however, she would seek revenge on those who had turned her in. Catherine placed her two-year-old daughter on a parked train and acquired an axe. I say acquired, she stole it. Oh, okay. She went into the town and began threatening people there with the weapon. Now, remember, she left her daughter on a parked train to go into town with an axe to threaten people. That seems legit. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, you know. That seems safe for the daughter. It, you didn't want your daughter to get hurt, mm-hmm. obviously, from the violent swinging of the axe while you're trying to kill folks. But she's two, so we'll leave her she's on a two. train knowing yeah. that she's mobile and, you know, can sure. get off and, you know, maybe she, step in front of another train. She's two months old. I thought you said, I'm sorry. I was no, she's two said, months old. I was wondering how we went from two months to two years. Did I say two years? I think at one point you said two Did years. Did I say two years? I'm sorry. She's two months old. Okay. She's an infant yeah okay barely bigger than a fetus yeah a drifter actually the story said vagrant but i said drifter mm-hmm. known same as thing. same thing known as old ted who happened to be near the tracks around this time discovered the child just before the train left for its next destination and scooped up the little girl do you think she would have cared if the train had left? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Catherine is again reported to authorities and again sent to St. Elmo's. They needed to keep her a little bit longer. This stint, however, didn't last long as Knight signed herself out the very next day. That is the opposite of what I just said. <laughs> I said. I know what you said. That needed to last a little bit longer. I know what you said. Hold on a minute. I need to go get a beer. You bring me one? I'm almost done. Yeah. Ah, that's good. Okay. 
A few days after her voluntary release, Catherine would threaten a woman in town with one of her knives and cut her face with it. Oh. Yeah. This was Catherine's attempt to steal a ride to Queensland so she can locate David. With no David. (laughs) Run, yeah. With no other options, the slashed woman began to drive Catherine to Queensland as she instructed. The woman told Catherine that she needed to stop at a service station, though, maybe for gas, I don't know. And once they stopped, the woman was able to escape and contact police. Upon the arrival of police, Catherine grabbed a young boy and held him hostage. What the fuck? Uh-huh. Police did not waste any time and moved in to attack Catherine. The story said with brooms and shit. <laughs> <laughs> with brooms? Brooms, yeah. Well, I guess maybe they were trying not to hurt the little boy and trying to do it with it. I mean, probably, yeah. But... Could you imagine seeing a bunch of police officers trying to attack a lady with brains? I'm going to sweep your ass if you don't let that boy go. Right? Yep. They are able to disarm and detain her. After this incident, Catherine is admitted to Morset Psychiatric Hospital. And again, she needs to be there for a little bit. There, Catherine admitted to the staff that her plan was to kill both her husband and his mother. When she arrived in Queensland. Okay. So, police informed David of this plan. Pauls, what would you do if police came to you and said that the the woman that you were trying to get away from was trying to get to where you were at and was her plan was to kill you and your mother? Well, at first I would be like, oh, I need to go into hiding. But then at the same time, I'm kind of like, why the fuck should I go into hiding? Why don't I arm myself and defend myself if she actually makes it to me or my mother? Because obviously somebody has to put a stop to her. Oh, I would have told the police, let her go. Right. Let her come. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have taken care of it. I got something for her ass. I got something for her. Okay. Throw some hot ass lead her way. Anyway, so police did inform David of this plan. He and his mother moved back to Aberdeen in the same town where she was where Catherine would eventually be released into their custody David what are you thinking what is your mother thinking because I would if I was his mother I'd be like boy what the fuck are you thinking officially she was released into his mother's custody into her mother-in-law's custody mama what are you thinking in 1980, Catherine and David would have another daughter together. Oh, my God. So not only did they get back together, but they had another child. Oh, yeah. But their relationship would continue to suffer. Well, duh. Subsequently ending in 1984 with Catherine leaving David. Oh, okay. Catherine was still working in the area's abattoir, but she would eventually hurt her back and would have to be put on disability which includes the government giving her a housing commission house in Aberdeen. So she gets disability and kind of like, maybe kind of like a HUD house? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I would assume they didn't give her the house. I I don't know. I don't know how the the housing commission works in Australia. Yeah. It 
well, I know here, they don't give you they HUD don't houses. give you houses. They, they pay you so rent much, them. right? They yeah. pay so much toward it, and if there's yeah. any balance, the person has to pay the difference. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And some people that live in the HUD houses, they might pay ten dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You know. And some of them HUD houses are pretty damn nice. Some of the newer ones, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In 1986, Knight met a minor. Not a minor as in a little kid, but a, a minor. <laughs> I didn't know, even think of it that way. By but. the name of David Saunders, who would eventually move in with her and her two daughters. But he ended up keeping his own apartment agreement going in the nearby Scone and I hope I'm saying that right, S-C-O-N-E, scone. Yeah. Catherine exhibited a very jealous behavior accusing Saunders of infidelity when she wasn't around, mm. which resulted in her throwing him out a lot. Luckily, Good thing he, he kept still that apartment. had that apartment. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty smart. Because he was going back and forth with that a lot. I would have just stayed at my apartment. And I think I like, would have too. You know what? Fuck this. Yeah. Seeing that he was not typically phased by being kicked back to his apartment, Catherine would frequently follow and beg Saunders to come back to her. Could you imagine? I mean, both of her relationships, I could not imagine being in that situation. I mean, that is just turmoil every day. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know. I I don't even know what to say. And then her her daughters yeah. are seeing this. Yep. That's right. In May of 1987, Catherine would take David's dog. Why did she take his dog? A two-month-old dingo puppy. Oh. And cut its throat right in front oh, of him. Oh, fuck. You just ruined that. Saunders could only watch as the puppy bled out in Catherine's arms. That's horrible. Now, a dingo puppy, though, I mean, that's a that's a good dog. Mm-hmm. To me, I mean, from what I've seen about dingo puppies or mm-hmm. dingo dogs, that's a good dog. Good dog to have around. Right. <laughs> she shouldn't have slit the throat of any, any br- uh, breed of dog. Not, no. I almost said any brand of dog. But I don't know that I wouldn't have put my hands on her I mean, for that, doing that. That's evil. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's evil. Mm-hmm. Her jealousy would be her motive for this, and this incident would end with her hitting him over the head with a frying pan, rendering him unconscious. What the fuck is up with the frying pans? Y'all need to, like, get rid of that shit. Was it cast? I mean, it had to have been cast. Right. Damn. I guess she figured um, when she hit the fir- her first husband with it and cracked the back of his skull, I guess she's like, yeah, this will work. <laughs> this would be my weapon of choice. Apparently. Other than my knives. Jeez. In 1988, Catherine gave birth to her third daughter. So, now, look, her mother, Barbara, mm-hmm. had a bunch of sons. Mm-hmm. You know? Catherine's having a bunch of girls. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Saunders would, when this was going on, Saunders would put a deposit down on the house which would be paid off with Catherine's workman's comp- workers' compensation check in 1989. Okay. Now, I just have a, a little word here, decorating. <laughs> I don't have anything after it. I just, I decorating. All right, her style of decorating 
was not my style of decorating oh no no uh she hung knives Mm. traps rusted traps leather jackets old boots skulls horns okay we've got um, skull like deer steer yeah we do have steer skulls yes yep yep but no um just horns okay uh you know of course skins Mm. you know the the deer skin you know things like that it got to a point where and and i'm not reading this i'm just kind of remembering what i read in the story it got to a point where there was almost no room on her walls at all she had all this old boots that sounds hideous and not only does it sound hideous it's creepy as fuck rusted traps talk about 3d art that's right? gross mm. gross that same year 1989 Catherine and saunders would get into a vicious argument more vicious than they have been which ended with Catherine hitting david in the face with an iron and stabbing <gasps> him in the stomach with some stit with some some scissors some scissors <laughs> Stab you with these scissors. Them fucking scissors. Sipping on the scissors. Baby, where are the scissors? <laughs> God dang it. That was I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. This pushed David into hiding. Well, no shit. Only to return to see his daughter later on and finding that Catherine had an AVO issued for him, which is an apprehended violence order or... Here we would call it a restraining order. <gasps> she issued it against him? Yeah. How did the cops even go for that? I mean, he's the one that was stabbed. He left. Uh, but still. He didn't report it. Oh. Yeah, he left. Okay, I can see that now since he didn't report it. Yeah. Okay. In 1990, Catherine had met and became pregnant by a fellow abattoir worker by the name of John Chillingworth. The following year, she gave birth to their son. How many different dads does she, is, does she have now for her kids? Three. Okay. Yeah. There's not much said about the relationship, or you know, the they were uh, the relationship would last about three years, but there's not a lot that's said. Um, could imagine it's probably about the same as the other ones. He got beat the fuck up. It might be. She introduced him to her frying pan. It, it very well could be. Yeah. Like I said, the relationship would last about three years until she left Chillingworth for the man she had been having an affair with, John Charles Thomas Price. Pricey. Pricey. And Who that, sounds like a good man. And that's where I'm going to end. What part the one. hell? Yep. Because when we get into their relationship and how they were, and then I'm going to tell that first story over again uh-huh. with more detail, it gets fucking brutal. Now, I promised you another story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me get down here. Let me keep going. No way. <laughs> All right. Here we go. You know, when I when I mentioned that that uh, Catherine 
has stated that she was sexually assaulted mm -hmm. by other family members and things. There's no reason that I'm, I'm telling this story other than I came across it by sheer accident. And I'm not saying that this person is one of those people that she's talking about. However, I'm going to read this story to you. Now, this is from a website that I'm going to mention in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Neville Rohan. This is one of her older brothers. Okay. This is one of her brothers that her mother had from a previous marriage. He was arrested last Thursday. Now, this is this says last Thursday. This was in 2021. Oh, so yeah. that was recent. This is, yeah. Okay. This is last year. This was, it says last Thursday. Neville Rohan, 71 years old, was arrested last Thursday for allegedly plying the boys with drugs and alcohol so he could systematically abuse them over 14 years. Oh. The former youth worker was due for release on Tuesday night after prosecutors abandoned plans to appeal a magistrate's decision to grant him bail. Rohan was granted conditional bail by Magistrate Brett Thomas after the alleged assaulter voiced fears his killer sibling's notoriety would make him a target in jail. Mm. Prosecutors quickly filed for a stay, which bought them an extra 72 hours to keep him behind bars while they mounted a challenge. However, on Tuesday afternoon, the court was instructed the detention order application was no longer going ahead and Rohan would walk free. The 71-year-old has been charged with 15 crimes, including six counts of sex with a person aged 10 to 16 years old. Oh, my gosh. And he's walking free. One of the boys was just 11. <gasps> oh, no. When the alleged abuse began, and the other was 13. The Newcastle local court heard last week. Rohan allegedly abused the boys over 14 years from 1990 to 2004, with two other alleged victims recently coming forward, the court heard. Police alleged one of the boys traveling with him to meet then Swansea MP Milton Orcapoulos, a convicted pedophile in 2004. Orcapoulos who was still in office at the time, connected with Rohan through his now-deceased brother, Patrick Rohan, the court heard. Mm. Neville Rohan successfully argued that due to his age, physical and mental condition, and connection to his killer sister, he should be released on bail. The 71-year-old will be forced to abide by strict bail conditions until he faces court again on September the 23rd. Rohan is banned from being in the company of anyone under 18, contacting his alleged victims, or leaving the Newcastle and Lake Macquarie local councils and will continue to report to police. So that's one of her older brothers. Both of his victims were uh, allegedly, both of his alleged victims, it looks like they were young boys. So 
was she a one of his victims? And that's a question. Could have been. I mean, she was there. It was the opportunity to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But apparently but, he likes little boys. Allegedly, he likes boys. I want to know what went on in their house when they were growing up. Because she turned out the way she did. Yeah. Crazy as fuck. Yeah. He turned out the way he did. A sick fuck. Mm-hmm. So, what happened in their childhood? And one of their other brothers, Patrick, apparently was a... Apparently, he was in on it, too. He was in with this Orca Poulos, uh-huh. uh, who was a convicted pedophile. So, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened in that house. But apparently, something has traumatized all right. of these kids. Or yeah. they're, they're adults now. But, right. You know, I don't know. So, that is the beginning of the story of Catherine Knight from Aberdeen, Australia. Well, that was a wild ride. Oh, it's going to get wilder. Believe me, it gets fucking crazy and very brutal. Okay. So, um, I, I tried to, you know, start out with that other story about the guy in North Carolina. Ended with this story about her brother because I accidentally came across this, uh, the Rohan boy, and um, thought I would just add that in there because, you know, like I said, you mentioned that whole thing with Catherine. She mm-hmm. said, you know, that she was abused sexually and stuff by other family members. Right. I don't know. I don't know who it would have been. I mean. She had a lot of brothers in that house. Right. I don't know. And then it makes you wonder where the brothers abused. Then it makes you wonder. Was it even true? That's was she true. even abused? Because you know as well as I do that people that are sexually assaulted are not really, you know, uh, happy about having sex or, or getting right back in it, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like this. Uh, she she had started no... to strangle right. her new, brand new husband on their wedding night because he wouldn't do it more than three times. I know. And I was fixing to say, and obviously she had no issue with it. I mean, she had 20 kids, so... Well, I mean, yeah. So, she was pregnant all the damn time. All the time. So, uh, and, and and I don't know. And I feel bad for her kids. I do. And that's why I'm not naming any of them. It gave right. me the names. Right. I'm not naming any of them. They, no. they ain't got nothing to do with this. I mean, they do. They were put through this bullshit. Right. But I just don't feel the need to put their names out there. Right. That's why... You know, these are the only two brothers that are ever, well, they're not the only ones ever named. The other ones are named, too, but they are not showing up in the news. I wonder how her twin sister turned out. Joy? Uh-huh. I don't know. Hmm. I, again, I don't want to look into all that because I'm going to focus on this one, on this monster, one monster at a time. Right. Well, that, and they probably don't want to focus on them anyways because they're not the one that went out there and did all that. Right. Exactly. So... Catherine Knight, everybody. Mm. Wow. So y'all stay tuned, and uh, we're going to get this one uploaded, and we're going to start recording yours here soon and get that one uploaded. So um, remember, uh, we do have a Facebook, Criminally Disturbed. We have an Instagram, Criminally Disturbed Podcast. And our Gmail account, our email, is cdisturbedpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up. Tell us how we're doing. Give us any stories. Give us a story of yours. We want to try to get some stories together. We've gotten a few already, 
and uh, we're waiting on to get a few more. Yeah, because I would love to dedicate an episode to listener tales. Right, exactly. Or disturbed tales. Disturbed. Or something that disturbed you. Right. We don't care. Definitely stay tuned. We have a lot more coming. We will definitely try to not have one of those weekends like we had last weekend. Try to get back on our recording schedule. Yeah. So until the next episode, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye.